Do you have like a, a an algebra test to study for or something like that? I wish. And you probably have a lot of time dedicated to Tinder and things like that. I mean, it's like doing the first 20 minutes of my day, wake up in the morning, gotta get your swipes in, you know? Armin, how many podcast groupies do you think you have now? Podcast groupies? <laughs> Maybe like two or three? Hello there, FC Dallas Curious fan. Welcome to Third Degree, the podcast. My name is Peter, and we do have a trio today, along with, well, me and two other people. It is uh, not Dan Crook, who apparently has decided he never wants to do the podcast again, because I keep pointing out he's British, and he seems to be very sensitive about that. Uh, So instead, when you can't have a Brit, you get a Persian. (laughs) Armin Kafai, the young millennial. Or wait, are you even qualified as a millennial? Aren't you actually Gen Z? I don't know how that works. I mean, I'm, I'm 21 if that helps anything going on 22. Yeah, you're a punk. All right. Uh, ProSoccerUSA.com, and he's got his own very successful podcast, the Uncle Sam's Soccer Pod. Am I saying that? Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast, is that it? Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's it. All right. I bet you have more listeners than we do. And, uh, of course, our fearless leader, the founder and editor of ThirdDegree.net and from the Dallas Morning News, Buzz Carrick. Come in, Buzz. Hello, Peter. Calling in today from the Cotton Bowl, getting ready for the Dallas Cup triple header opener. Well, boys, uh, Armin, it's nice to have you. You're here, unfortunately, for your debut on the pod on a sad day because it's a loser podcast. It's a (laughs) show after a loss as uh, the Huntsmen go to Philly and they have to roll out the children and get mowed with a heartbreaking stoppage time goal. Ah, so much to talk about in this. But Buzz my, and, and Armin, my question is, what is the bigger point to blame? Is it the suspended players, the three vets that got suspended, or is it the fact this is a team whose depth is all based on teenagers? Well, the bigger story uh, for the week is the three suspended players. Um, when you have some sort of rule broken, it um, knocks out, you know, three guys with um, you know, upwards of a hundred uh, starts each. You know, um, that's a huge blow to your team, especially when you're also already missing uh, a couple other starters from injury. So when you gut your team like that, that's a story for the week. The story for the bigger picture is that. The other, the other half of that coin, which is that the depth on this team is all youth. Now, you, there are some pro-depth, but Lucci doesn't seem to use them. He's going all youth, all in, you know, going to guys that you wouldn't expect to see. I wouldn't expect to do a scene, and he went with them. So it's an interesting question. Let's knock this out real quick. Does anybody have any idea what the team violation was? I know it was Pablo's birthday last week when they were uh, headed to Salt Lake, and I think we also determined that whatever it was happened long before anybody – left to go to Philadelphia. Uh, Harding, yeah? I mean, is that, is that like a solid guess? What, I, I, I mean, if we're, I don't know, you know, we could guess till the, uh, the cows come home. What we do know is that Lucci said that whatever it was, was definitely on the road because he said that they knew going into the week of training that it was going to, that's the way it was going to be. So it was something involving the trip to Salt Lake, you know, and you can imagine, you can just guess what the various options would be in terms of travel and a club and young players. I mean, I don't think it's anything to be too hyper-concerned about other than it's the young coach drawing the line the first time and saying, this is the way we are. You got to do what you got to do, you know? So I'm okay with that. Yeah, Armin, you're closer in age to the three guys that got suspended. I'm going to guess it was a curfew violation based on just a single game, but I don't know what you kids are up to these days. So maybe it was like eating Tide Pods or something. I don't know. Tide Pods, yeah. I mean, they taste really good, man. What can I say? What can I say? <laughs> what can I say? <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I, I would. I'm going to I'm just totally. I mean, who doesn't love to speculate? My my guess is, is the three guys are out goofing off and they showed up back at the hotel late because, you know, uh, Buzz, I don't know how much behind the curtain you want to uh, reveal, but you were already you were on to the fact that something was going on because of the way yeah. training was taking place. I swear you you and I had a conversation, what, on Wednesday or Tuesday of last week. You were like, oh, yeah, somebody that? got in trouble because X and X and X aren't training right now. Yeah, 
Yeah, the two the two that were obvious were Grezzo and Gonzalez, Jesse Gonzalez. Um, Grezzo didn't take a single shift with the first team, and Jesse was normal. He was out there, but he was almost non-existent in drills. Um, the one you couldn't see was Arangis because he was playing with the second unit, but he usually plays with the second unit. Mascara is the starter at left wing, so you know I I questioned Lucci about him, and and he would not comment at all except to say that you know you'll see something later in the week, and so that was sort of when I was sort of guessing someone's in trouble, but you can't report guessing. I mean, you can't do that. So, you know, I, I then asked him official questions about squad rotations and changing things up. And he said some good things about sometimes your hand is forced. Sometimes you make it by choice, you know, and at this time of year, we're going to find out what we've got. So, you know, you can only do so much when they won't talk about anything. And, uh, you know, we tried to, um, preview that there was for sure that Gonzalez wasn't going to play it. Not Gonzalez for sure that Grezzo wasn't going to play and hint that Maurer probably might get a shot, you know, so we put all that in there as best we could, you know, based on the actual information we were able to obtain, which was just what we saw watching practice. And not to, uh, uh, dwell on this too much. I don't know why, but for whatever reason in my head, the, uh, the trio, the Holy Trinity of Grezzo, Arangis and Jesse Gonzalez, as a threesome uh, of trouble just doesn't seem to make sense to me. I don't I don't know why in my head it, I wouldn't have picked those three guys to uh, get in trouble, but I guess that's who it was. All right, let's um let's uh, move on. So the game kicks off. Dallas uh, obviously rolls out with a lot of kids because of this, both through injury uh, and the suspension to see Thomas Roberts get his first full-on uh, debut instead of uh, a couple of other options that we'll get to. Um, things didn't seem to start too poorly at the beginning, and in fact. Uh, you know, Hollingshead gets a really nice penalty, uh, uh, not a penalty kick, gets a free kick call when he tries to make a run just outside the box. And uh, I, my question is, why hasn't Rito Ziegler been taking free kicks for this team the entire time he's been here? Well, I mean, wasn't he wasn't he called off like before? You know, when you know Kellen, he also had Morrow there as well. That's exactly I mean, my. That's kind of my <laughs> point. Is <laughs> he? I think I've seen more quality free kicks from Ziegler in the last few weeks than I ever saw from Mauro Diaz or Kellen Acosta, at least towards the uh, the end in the time that those three guys were all playing together. Yeah, I guess it was about the middle of last season where he sort of took the ball and was like, I'm, I'm doing them from now on. And he started working, uh, you know, once or twice a week, you would see him do an extra 15, 20 minutes of free kicks after training. So, you know, there was a point at which I don't know whether the coach Preya told him to or whether he just said, I'm doing it. You know, from then on, he did it. And then in this season, that's continuing with Lucci. No, yeah. Uh, the, the one thing that I like to point out is I think Ziegler, whenever he scores a set piece, he always posts on his Instagram. So you can go through and you can go through his Instagram and see all the uh, free kicks and penalties. And if you go through like back in the days, you're like, wow, this guy's pretty good at set pieces. So, I mean, to see him finally, you know, take that role on, and we, like, we're starting to see the, the benefits from it. It's a, it's pretty much, it's better than what it was last year. I'll tell you that with, uh, you know, Maro and Kellen, like, you know, aimless balls to go over the bar or whatever. Uh, I, I like what I'm seeing with Ziegler. Well, both uh, to uh, to be fair, both Morrow and Kellen uh, did have magical stretches where they were putting balls right. straight on goal, and it just seemed to end. So hopefully that won't happen with Ziegler. And also, by the way, if I could hit free kicks like that, I'd be posting that shit on Instagram too. So. Um, <laughs> No doubt about it. But it seemed to be after that, Philly uh, seemed to figure out what was going on. They took over control of the game. And from that point forward, this was all Philly. And I, I think this is one of those games where we were seeing a byproduct of not just um, you know youth on the field, but maybe we were also seeing some inexperience at the coaching uh, aspect of this too. Do you, any thoughts about that, Buzz? I, my main thought about that is um... – the amount of faith uh, he put in Roberts. I think Thomas Roberts is an extraordinarily gifted player and he's going to be an extraordinarily good player. But uh, when you think about the scenario on the road at Philly, missing a whole bunch of veterans. So your team is young. You're basically throwing the guy to the wolves there. It's going to be very difficult for him to have a good game. Now, coach Gonzalez thought he had said Roberts had a pretty positive game, but I thought, that the areas that he's weak in and the areas that he's still working on, which is game awareness. You know, where am I in the field? When is it in the game? Should I try and do like an amazing play or should I play simply? And it, when he tries to do an amazing play every time, 
he had like five turnovers in the defensive end. So for me, it's that's for me, that's a tough, tough place to start a guy for the first time ever on the road like that. So I would have liked to have seen him go to his veterans. You know, perhaps there are a couple different things he could have done. He could have started Hollingshead on the wing and put Pedrosa at left back. You know, some various ideas like that. There are other players he could have used. I just thought that uh, it showed that he is 100% completely bought into the play of the young guys. No matter what, they're good enough. They can play anywhere, anytime. And that's a, that's a little dangerous to me, a little a little risky. But I suppose it's um, trial by fire in another way, too. And maybe, maybe in the long run, it'll be good. I don't know. It's asking a lot. Armand, I, you know, one of the things I thought when I watched the game is that Thomas Roberts, who, like Buzz says, we all are super excited about and, and the hype is uh, very tall on the kid, but that performance in Philadelphia was an awful a lot like Pax's, uh, Paxton's first few uh, you know appearances for FC Dallas where he got in the game, uh, seemed very unsure, didn't really have an impact. And, I, and you know those are the it's so it's it's uh, it's not indicative of anything we may see six months down the road, but it may actually be more proof that you know making that jump at that age is way harder than maybe we all uh, put it, we all consider. I mean everyone, you know, from MLS Twitter to everyone's saying, hey, play the kids, play the kids, play the kids, hashtag play the kids. I'm sure if MLS could, they'd sell shirts as play the kids and uh, try to make as much money as possible off of that. But look, when you do that, you're going to have those growing pains. And like you mentioned, with that comparison of Paxton and Thomas, look, it's these guys' first starts, they're you know getting still getting used to the game. You can't just uh, expect magic to happen on their first in their first ever starts. Uh, and you, you kind of saw that, especially in the road in MLS. I mean, where we always talk about, you know, where everyone's pretty happy with a point on the road. It's, it's, really, it's really difficult. I mean, that's part of the growing pains. I think uh, when Peter, I, I know you, you said this in your predictions, and I said this in my prediction as well, we both don't have Dallas make the playoffs uh, in our initial predictions. Uh, part of my reasoning behind that was that there's going to be some growing pains, especially, you know, with what Lucci had been saying in the offseason about playing, you know, going all in on this youth, you're going to have some growing pains. You're not going to, you're going to make mistakes. Some players aren't going to show up. They have to get used to the pro game. So, I mean, you're going to see results like this. And you know what? At the beginning of the season, I don't think it's that bad of a result to have, you know, might as well get them some, get some of those out of the way and, uh, you know, hopefully have them more ready for like the latter parts of the season when we all know MLS can flip on its head and he can make a playoff push. Isn't part of what we're also figuring out or, you know, uh, one of the takeaways from this game is the reality that, um, you know, as much as we are excited about, you know, young players coming out of the academy, seeing what our own uh, product can do at an MLS level, there is a hard reality to the fact that when you get into games and you've got one goal leads uh, late in games, uh, not only do your kids on the field have to figure out how to hold those leads and play smart but the coach has to be um you know uh, experienced in understanding when to make certain substitutions and I did think some of his moves um in terms of the starting 11 and maybe even more specifically later in the game when he did finally make some substitutions may not have been the right ones did do you do you agree with that at all Buzz? Yeah, I think the, the Nelson, John Nelson sub in particular was the wrong one. And I, and I think Lucci knows that, you know, it, we talked a little bit this week and he he said this is all part of their learning process as a coach, too, that they will anal- analyze, excuse me, everything they did. In particular, when he put Nelson in as a left midfielder, um, that's not his natural position. And Jim Curtin, who's Philadelphia's coach, said after the game that the, the second that happened, the second they took off Barrios, who was completely gassed, by the way. Barrios needed to come off. But um, when they put Nelson on, Curtin said they immediately recognized that he was the wrong player for that position. He's not a wide mid. And he's wide back. And so they overloaded that side and went at him. I mean, that was they clearly exploited that. And in, in the end, that, that decision, not John Nelson's play. I mean, his play was poor. But his play was poor because he was used incorrectly. So that decision cost the game. Like they, Dallas had a chance to win the game, and they did not, and then tie the game, and they didn't because of that choice. Yeah, I'll, I'll talk about Andresek here in a second, but when you consider his options, and again, limited, we all agree because of injury and suspension, 
not using Pedroso or Bresson yeah. or maybe even starting, and I think you were the one that brought this up, Buzz, Tomasi. Like, why not yeah. Tomasi instead of Roberts, um, you know, in terms of playing that left wing position? One, he's older and it does at least have some experience uh, playing at a pro level. Uh, and yeah. two, it's actually his natural position and it's not Thomas Roberts' uh, natural yeah. position. Tuomasi was on the bench, and he has not only does he have a whole uh, half a season of experience in the USL, which Roberts doesn't have, he also has you know three, four years of playing in college uh, on that wing position, which Roberts doesn't have. So, and plus he's older and more mature, and probably can handle the university. So that's obvious. But the in terms of the subs, uh, I I would guess, and I don't know, but I would guess that Lucci's kicking himself for not going to Pedroso and moving Hollingshead Hollingshead to the wing. And that's the obvious answer because that solves that side and it solves the shape. I would have liked to have seen Cervania there uh, because that would have helped with the possession in the midfield. He could have put Paxton on the wing and Paxton can steal a game up there. And that way, Cervania could have helped uh, Cerillo and Hayes uh, hold the middle together with some possession. But um, the fact that he didn't, the fact that he, that, that he thought Cobra was his best option, I think that says a little bit about where Brandon Cervania is and his uh, Cervania is in his uh, thinking too. So uh, overall, the whole sub pattern and all the choices did not go well. There's a part of me that wonders if there isn't some mad scientist thinking going on here in Lucci's part, which is, hey, it's early in the season. This is a good time to uh, experiment a little bit. Hey, let's not uh, let's let's throw the kid in the fire. Uh, and see what happens because if we end up blowing it, I can always either if he's really bad at the beginning, I can sub him out. I'm just wondering if maybe it, it is what we saw a byproduct of Lucci's own inexperience or him just being brave and and feeling and having a high level of confidence, um, whether deserved or not. I mean, for I mean, because he will need to experiment a little bit, right? Because I mean, the team is going to lose plenty of players with the U20s. Uh, U20 World Cup, I mean, Gold Cup, I mean, hell, we could, you could potentially even see, you know, a key star like Matt Hedges maybe getting called for the Gold Cup. Um, there's plenty of international competitions. I think the experimenting now uh, is a very real possibility, but I also, that that Nelson sub really was the one where I, I sat there and was like, I, I don't know if this is the right move. And especially when Jim Curtin comes out and says, yeah, as soon as we did that, we, sh- we went to a three-back line, shift Bedoya out to uh, the wing-back uh, on Nelson's side to go after him. That's when you know, okay, like maybe that wasn't the uh, best move um, out there. But I, I do feel like there, there honestly might be a little bit of experimentation to say, hey, what's our depth, what we got? Um, you know, especially with all these guys that are probably going to be gone for international competitions. Um, I, I, Lucci also said that uh, during training, right, Buzz? Like he, he yeah, did mention, he did mention I that. I can't remember whether it was you or Sylvia that asked that question, uh, and he he did say that that is the uh, silver lining of this whole thing is that they are getting a look at what what they may have to look towards when all those things happen in the in the summer. We're finding out what we have, so um, there is that hindsight aspect of it, that analysis of it, that they are going to take advantage of. Now, out of the uh, six, I'm just going to say attacking players, midfield and forwards, four of them were teenagers. This is the most bizarre stat. Of the four teenagers, Paxton was the oldest of the four, which is Ferreira, Pomichol, Thomas, and Cerillo. Uh, But the other part of this that I thought most interesting is the player who I thought had the worst game overall, and I'm really starting to worry about a little bit, is Ja'Cory Hayes. I thought Ja'Cory was really, really poor, and I don't know if that was a byproduct of him, who, you know, he's also a, a very young player himself, but he's not a byproduct of the academy. Remember, uh, Ja'Cory was drafted by the team a couple of years ago. Um, I, I is, Was he just trying too hard on Saturday? Well, he's 23. He's the same age as age as Grezzo. Um, my my assumption is that they were asking him to play the Acosta kind of role to sort of command the middle and link the middle, and and that may be a little bit of an ask for Jacory. I mean, he has not gotten as much playing time as he would like. You know, the start of last year, he looked fantastic for the first 10 games or so. We he was arguably the MVP at that point, but then uh, the wheels have come off on him, and and I. We'll also add that I don't think he responded very well this week. Like, he did not look particularly good in training either. Um, he probably is feeling really down at this point in time. Uh, you know, I, I think we have to learn and know that you can't expect Jory Hay- Ja'Cory Hayes to carry a midfield. You know, when you've got him in there with Paxton, who 
is a great player, but he's not a um, he's not playing a control the midfield role these days. He's playing a game changer kind of role. And then you got him with Cerillo, who's uh, you know a rookie, an eighteen year old rookie. So uh, that's a big ask for Jacory. Like if you want to plug him in with Acosta and Grezzo, no problem. I can fill that role. So that's a lot to ask, and I I think he's probably feeling it this week. I, that was a that was a bad moment for him, and I'm sure he's not happy. And then is anybody else uh, equally as concerned as I am about Reggie Cannon, who on Saturday uh, was kind of like the Monty Python, uh, the knight from Monty Python on the Holy Grail, who I, I thought his leg was going to fall off at one point. I couldn't believe he actually gutted, at least the way he was holding and carrying himself and limping, and he just consistently looked injured through the entire game, yet just tried to keep battling on and on. And I'm just wondering, how hurt is the kid, and should they be considering giving him some time off? I think, personally, um, <laughs> that that they should. I mean, last year, uh, you, could, you could argue that he honestly – Probably should have gotten some time off as well. Uh, this year, I mean, he, he's injured. He had that week off. I mean, he's coming. He's coming in. I th- I think, you know, Hollingshead uh, has been playing pretty okay. Um, there might be an opportunity at some point uh, in these upcoming matches to be like, hey, look, Reggie, just be on the bench today. I'll give you uh, a game off, and you can push Ryan to right back, and maybe end up starting Pedroso um, at left back or John Nelson, who. Lucci looks like he really likes um, and does really like. I, I I do think he does need it because Reggie's very hard on himself as well. Um, I don't know if he'll let himself take a break, but it might be one of those things where the athletic trainer's like, hey, you, you, need, you need to take off a game. Yeah, I think he recognizes that the team is banged up, and so he's trying to play through his own you know, uh, personal uh, discomfort. I, I, would, I would guess that they wouldn't let him play if there was any real damage in the ankle that it, it probably just is sore, you know. So every time somebody kicks him, it hurts again. So um, I wouldn't mind seeing seeing him get a game off. I, you know, there are there is an option, lots of options. Nelson plays right back. Um, I don't like Ryan Helling's, Hollingshead on the right at all. Not that I don't love Ryan's Hollingshead, but for some reason on the right he's a mess. Yeah, well, remember his one bad performance this year was when he filled yeah. in for Reggie. Filled in on the right, so like you can Nelson can play there fine or. Um, Brian Reynolds actually has been playing really well for North Texas and looks really good in training right now. He's actually feeling really confident. So, um, you know, depending on who you're playing, it might be worth rolling that kid out there and give him a game. You know, it would, be, it would do wonders for his confidence. And I don't mean to dogpile on the Cobra, but goodness gracious. Um, uh, I know I keep saying this, Buzz, you've been warning everybody to lower your expectations yeah. about the guy. Uh, but I, you know, when he went out there, uh, I was one. I was stunned to see him get flat out run by a center back when he. Ha- I believe he actually had the lead on, uh, and got run. You know, a ball got dumped over the top, and he got outrun by a center back, which is never a good thing. And then two, I was even more surprised to see him continuously fail to win aerial balls in the amount of time that he was on the field. He had one really good header, which was in the box that put the ball across the face of the goal, but. I think I counted five or six other area balls where he just got bossed out of the way, and I was really surprised to see that. And I'm just not sure I get why they even signed this guy in the first place. Well, I don't know the answer to the question of why they signed him. You know, I imagine that they scouted him on tape and they scouted him in person, and then they must have thought he looked good. But, you know, I, you're seeing in the game exactly what I've been seeing all spring, and I've tried not to just destroy the guy. I try to, you know, let people have a chance to see him. And I don't see anything in this game that I haven't just seen all spring. I mean, this is exactly the same performance. I, I admire his tenacity. I admire his positivity. I admire his work ethic. He just doesn't have enough for me to be playing in Major League Soccer. The worst moment of the game for me from him was the choice he makes to pass from the wing back to uh, Cerillo, who is marked, standing right in front of the back four, and to an 18-year-old kid. And granted, Cerillo flubbed the reception, but – that's a horrible decision of a pass to that player in that position, and that directly led to the PK that that they got. Well, so I'll, I'll also you know. point out he tried to make the pass with the outside of his right foot, and he put it wide of Cerio, uh, who had to go try to chase it down and couldn't get to it. Um, yeah. There was some question as to who was at fault there. I felt like it was more Cobra's decision-making and the execution of the pass. Yeah. Um, you could say that if he had made a better pass directly to Cerio's feet and then – 
he uh, fumbled it, then it would be his fault. But I think the problem started uh, with Cobra's decision to try to play that ball and the and the way that he tried to play the ball. Well, no no goal is ever one person's fault. But I I agree with you that the, the impetus of that problem is came from the initial decision from Cobra. I thought it was a terrible moment. But I mean, I'm sure Mon could back me up. Um, we we don't see anything in training that we're not that doesn't directly show up in games. It's not like he's crushing it in training. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, you buzzed your spot on. I mean. It's- even with Coleman, you'd see him like have like some like bursts of like, hey, like he's doing pretty good in training. Like I remember like one time he smashed a bicycle kick in, and you're like, oh, wow, this is a, you know, maybe something there. But I mean, <laughs> there's nothing, there's nothing. You're looking at it right there where you're like, okay, uh, like this is not standing out to me. I mean, are we at a point where we're saying, hey, uh, Coleman, when are you coming back? We want to see you. Are, are we getting to that point? Well, I th- at the end of the day, you know, what I'm more concerned about is uh, now while Jesus f- has played very well and he scored a goal and he's had a couple of nice assists, it's not like he's cre- he's getting a lot of opportunities to put shots on goal. He's under, he's at .6 shots per game in the minutes that he's uh, played this season, which is very, very low and ranks him not just low on the in the league, but almost way down on the team. Uh, and I and and this gets back into the larger question about that I want to get into is you know we're six games into this. What do we really know about what Lucci's trying to do and how well it's going at this point? There's some really fascinating statistics behind this team at this point. Um, after six games, they're second in overall possession in the league but they're 22nd in shots per game. Yeah, that's the whole uh, mantra that Lucci's been running with lately is this possession with purpose purpose idea. They do a really nice job of holding the ball, but they don't do enough about with it in the final third. And I think Ferreira's low shots is a byproduct of that. I think that they've had a problem for a while now of getting the ball into the striker in positive situations. And when, when they do, we've seen good results from it uh, with Jesus in there. So um, I think it's just uh, an evolution of Lucci's system. Uh, they work on it all the time in training, the build forward up the wings and up the middle, both, you know, they're trying to be better about that. And it's easy to start with this base, this base possession, this base deep setup, and then try and get better going forward. And I think that's going to be the question of the season is, That'll be the difference between them being an okay team or a decent team and a good team. It's can they figure this out, this progression forward, and get opportunities through Ferreira in the box. Yeah, part of the other point I was trying to make is is that while Ferreira has has an assist and a goal, um, his lack of real productivity at this point isn't that much different than what we were seeing from Baji. And so maybe my question is, if, if Lucci can correct some of these other issues, uh, maybe he can get something out of Baji at this point uh, down the road. Well, you can just look at the number of touches that any striker has when they play with SC Dallas. The, str- the number of touches is down near 20. You know, you'll have Hedges and Ziegler will be 80, 90, 100, and the striker will be 20 or 15. It's like, you know, that's, the balance is not right yet. So once they figure that balance out, you know, it'll, it'll be better. But it's just, it's just, it just takes time. And it could be Baji. It could be, I think Jesus's runs are better. I think his positional sense is better and his game reading is better than Baji, but Baji's pretty quick. Baji's a hard matchup. There's not a lot of people in the league can keep up with that guy. All right, so a couple of other... There's three other stats that I uh, saw earlier today when I was kind of digging through this that I really caught me off guard, although um, they make sense when you kind of cross-reference them against the eyeball test. Crosses. They're 23rd in the league in crossing. They're 23rd in the league in dribbles, um, which I want to I want to focus on here in a second. And this is the one stat that really uh, caught me off guard. They are 22nd in the league in offside being called against them. They are averaging only one offside call a game, which is really interesting for a team that has been trying to do some, at least a little bit of counterattacking, um, especially when many times that seems to be their greatest strength at this point is trying to find Barrios uh, in space uh, when they get regain possession in their own third of the field. And so I guess my question to you guys is, uh, getting back to what I asked earlier, you know, Armin, I'll start with you. What do you really feel like we know about this team so far after six games? Do we, is that even enough to really generate an opinion? I, I honestly don't think so. Um, 
mainly we know it's a possession heavy team that you know obviously want to dictate the game uh, with possession of the ball. But outside outside of that, you know that base idea, you know pre- uh, pressing to win back the ball as well. Uh, outside of those, you know two kind of general ideas. I mean we're kind of missing something. And those stats that you point out, Peter. I mean I'll point out another stat too. I mean they were. Uh, I want to say they were they were first in the league in terms of a defensive possession at one point. I want to say they still are. Uh, compare that to LAFC, who's sitting at first in the league at possession in their opponent's own third at 15%. I mean, LAFC is top of the league right now. I think it's it's too early because Lucci's definitely going to tweak his thing. It's not like he's like Bob Bradley or anything that has a specific style he's going to play with, uh, you know, week in and week out, and you know what to look for. I think Lucci's still trying to tinker it a little bit, and I think part of that's part of that's going to come with you know building off that base as Buzz was talking about of that you know building up the field, but that they have to get more in that final third because um, you know like 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 we've been saying possession you know is great, but if you can't make penetrating runs, if you can't you know make those threatening balls, if you can't get and take some shots on goal, you're not going to win a game. Yeah, my the the dribbles uh, uh, stat of being twenty third, I think, is really revealed in the fact that the only player that I feel like ev- there's two players, there appears to be only two players who will, who seem to be willing to take on anybody with the ball, and that's Barrios um, and Paxton, and and we're all delighted by Paxton, but. Certainly, this you know, Lucci's going to need other people to uh, have the courage to start taking on people with the ball. One of the reasons I like Paxton on the wing is because he's he will run at people out there, and Barrios is less dribbling, more kick it and chase it. Uh, Thomas Roberts will run at people too with the ball at his feet, but uh, you know, we we shouldn't be expecting the team to rely on him. We, we want to get him, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of ten, twelve appearances off the bench this year. But if if he's the answer, you're going to trouble. Um, but Arangis is not a dribble at you kind of player. He's a possession player, and so is Acosta, and so is Grezzo, and so is Cerillo. So it's they don't they don't they're lacking another player that can do that. The person it could be possibly is Santino Mascara, but he's having a tough uh, Santiago Mascara. He's having a tough start of the season. You know, he's had a little bit of a knock. He's had a little bit of a sickness, and now he did great on Wednesday. He actually scored a goal from midfield. So. Um, I'm hoping he'll be the starter this week and get in there and do some damage. But, you know, until they get that balance and get that third person up there on the wing attacking, they, they might have troubles. Uh, you know, at some point, they, you might as well try a, a Tuomasi or if uh, Francis Tuahene gets healthy, you might try him too because you got to get somebody to give you on that side what you're getting from Barros on the other side and from Paxson up the middle. Well, that's an excellent segue, Buzz. Uh, kudos to you, um, because uh, coming up this weekend is a massively huge bear trap of epic proportions. Uh, yeah. The Timbers roll into town. They are oh, yeah. one of five MLS teams that have yet to win a game. They're on this, you know, they're on this what now appears to be their turn to do the uh, extended road trip to start a season because our stadium is either being built or reconstructed, um, and so they are. They are defeated, not undefeated. They are fully defeated, uh, and they they look like a former shell of themselves. The other odd stat to start the season, both MLS Cup uh, opponents last year, neither one of them has won a game, Atlanta or Portland. So Portland rolls into town. Uh, there's a bit of a chip on Dallas's shoulder because this is the team that knocked him out of the playoffs last year. Um, Portland did go on to MLS Cup and lost, obviously, to Atlanta. Goodness, you could just—you can see this written all over it that this is a game that Dallas could walk into, thinking, "Oh, these guys haven't won," and then end up farting it away. Yeah, Armand could back me up on this. I actually asked Lucci about this on Wednesday, and he got a little animated. I mean, he clearly knows that Portland is a really good team. They're basically rolling out the same lineup that was in the final, and all their games on the road is hurting them, obviously hurting their mentality and making it tough for them to recover. But there's no mistake this is a super talented team. And Lucci got a little animated when he got to the part about they're the ones that knocked us out of the playoffs, and we remember that. And you darn well are sure we're going to be up for this one. And he said, my guys know it. I don't have to tell them, but we're telling them anyway because this is a big one. And after the performance in Philly, they need this one. They need to come home and stomp on a team that's down and put them away and take care of business. They, they, they need to because Portland has looked – I mean, maybe a show might be an understatement. They looked awful in a lot of these games. I think the only game that you know I saw that they looked pretty, you know, in it was the game against uh, the Galaxy. 
And we all know the Galaxy, you know, without Zlatan, they're, they're just kind of, uh. They're kind of just, uh. I mean, they just lost to San Jose 3-0 last weekend. And San Jose looked pretty bad as well until they played Portland and when they looked like they were on fire. It's, it's, it's a classic game of don't underestimate your opponent and you, you, you need to not underestimate your opponent in this because while Portland is bad, I mean, they still have a guy like Diego Valeri, right? They still have Sebastian Blanco, right? These guys are great. Uh, these guys are great players. It's just something's wrong defensively and there's bleeding goals left and right. Yeah, minus 10 goals differential. That's 15, uh, 15 goals allowed <laughs> in uh, five games. That's ridiculous. Well, they Yeah, they're conceding uh, at a minimum two goals uh, in their last eight away matches dating back to last year. So, um, yeah, it's it'll it will be interesting to see how this all plays out uh, coming in. And of course, uh, thank the soccer gods, I finally get to attend an FC Dallas game this year because while it is on Saturday, it is Saturday night. We get our first hey. night game of the season, and I won't be on the radio doing the radio show, <laughs> so I can actually attend an actual uh, a game up in Frisco. I'm super excited and geeked about that. So, um, any other thoughts or things to look out for, Buzz, that you think? Uh, people should be aware of uh, rolling into Saturday? Well, I think that uh, Lucci's still continuing with his, you know, five or six guys for three spots in midfield. I don't think there's any doubt at all after that way that looked last week that Grezzo won't be back in there. Um, I think at this point it's a coin flip between Mascara and Arangis on the left, although the way Mascara played on Wednesday, uh, I would pick Mascara. Um, the other questions are, will Ziegler end up getting a suspension for his kick out? Nothing has happened yet. I mean, the, the the initial email from the league came out on Tuesday without him in it, and I thought that meant he was in the clear, but um, some other people have pointed out that occasionally they drop something later in the week, so stay tuned on that one. And the other thing was that Matt Hedges came out of the Philly game and the percussion, excuse me, concussion protocol. So um, I actually talked to him about it. He said he feels great. He said, I, you know, I've had these before. I know my body. He said, I'm fine. I'm, I'm training on Thursday. God forbid something goes wrong with the review from the doctors, though, and he's out. Then it's really interesting because you get Bresson in there with Ziegler, and if Ziegler's out, then you're going to get Bresson and Callum Montgomery, which will that'll be out of nowhere. So, uh, <laughs> oh god, I wouldn't I wouldn't mind seeing Bresson get a game, but if it's going to be with Callum Montgomery together, like changing both center backs at once, that makes me nervous. Uh, so uh, you know, ho- hopefully uh, Ziegler and Hedges are both clear. You know. I don't. I don't. I expect they will be, but uh, you might possibly get a chance to see Bresson this week. Otherwise, I'm, I'm assuming that uh, it's standard ops, and and Jesse Gonzalez will be back in goal. And are uh, we go, are we going to assume that it's uh, since Acosta is still out with an ankle injury, uh, yeah. and we and the aforementioned poor showing by Jacori, that's going to be uh, Surio in there next to Grezo more than likely, right? Yeah, I would think yeah. so, and it'll probably be like it was the, the last time that happened where Grezzo actually was the sort of higher linking player slightly with Paxton kind of more tennis, you know, more of a six, six and a half, ten kind of look. Um, I think that's what you're going to see. That sounds, spot, that, that sounds spot on to me. It's, it's, it's Mr. Third Degree giving you what, exactly what we asked for, right? Um, <laughs> no, uh I, I think that's spot on. I mean, Buzz brings up that good point. You know, uh, I honestly wouldn't be surprised to see Ziegler suspended. Uh, I mean, looking back in that kick out, that, that, that looks like a, I, probably a one-game suspension uh, from what I see. I mean, so, I mean, Gangsy Bresson, Brisson. Sorry, you got me saying Bresson, Buzz. Come on. Oh, is it Brisson? I've never yeah, actually Brisson, heard anybody yeah, say Oh, it's Brisson. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> Yes, Prasad. Does he play? Does he first time? Does he play with his pinkies out too? Yeah, he sips wine too on the pitch. (laughs) I got a question for you guys, and I don't mean to drag all of my uh, drama and whining about VAR into this, but you know, um, with that particular incident with um, with uh, Ziegler, and then the uh, much viral video of Kellen uh, and Nani going at it uh, in the Colorado Orlando game. is anybody else frustrated by the fact that we have this VAR system and that we as viewers are seeing this stuff going on and, and it just seems as if there is no attention paid to it from the system that, that was supposed to be in place to pay attention to it? I, I find it frustrating on two levels. One is that I'm not even clear what all it can review. 
half the time people are like, well, all right. I'm like, I don't, can it, can it do that? Can it review that? I don't even know. And the other thing is, uh, I feel like that the referees that are involved with the VAR um, almost don't want to show up their compatriots. Like, unless there is something super blatant or unless there's a goal, it's like, I feel like they're like, we're not going to make a guy look stupid when it's, you know, I, I mean, somehow maybe there needs to be a separation between referees and VAR referees. If, if that's even possible, I don't even know. But well, the whole system to me is super confusing. I don't, I, I'm not anywhere near smart enough about that system to be able to have an answer for you. Well, I can I can tell you to answer your first one. Yes, VAR was it, one of the very clear dictates and and uh, uh, abilities of VAR is to go back and and spot red card fouls that a ref may have missed. And by the letter of the law, the Ziegler incident and in my you know again these are my opinions the yeah. Nani incident are both clear red card. Um, you know, moments um, that somebody in the booth had to have seen because they were showing them to us repeatedly on television. Uh, you know, Steve and Mark were talking about the Ziegler moment. You could, you could, ten- you could feel the tension growing because we were like, "Uh oh, he's going to get the yeah. he's going to get the call into the ear and he's going to throw Ziegler out." Uh, because Ziegler, I mean, and let me also say, the guy elbowed Ziegler in the back of the head. He yeah. should have at least gotten a yellow for the foul that he committed to begin with. But Ziegler's reaction and retaliation uh, was a red card worthy incident. The Nani situation is exactly the same thing and I, I think my biggest frustration is I understand how the process works which is the VAR official says you know what it's not a clear or obvious error that the referee didn't call that a red card but we as viewers aren't told that we're it's it's almost as if we just have to assume that somebody is making that decision and that unless the center referee decides to go over and watch it on the monitor and then make a change in his own decision you just make that you can just safely guess that it was a judge not to be worthy of uh you know taking on the next level of r which is the center referee deciding to go over and look at it himself what, just as a side note, what will be fascinating to watch, um, what we're understanding is going to happen in the EPL next season, is that decisions of those magnitude will not be made by the center referee. It will be made by the VAR official. So uh, if a, if those situations were to happen in an EPL game next year, they don't call down to the center referee and say, hey, I think we saw something that you missed. You need to go check it out on the monitor. The VAR official will say, hey, you missed this. Ziegler kicked the guy. Go give him a red card. And wow. that's going to be an interesting difference in change uh, in how the EPL institutes VAR and how Major League Soccer and many Many other uh, places are using it today. I mean, yeah. to be to be honest, to be honest with you, I feel like other leagues have implemented VAR after MLS are have already done a better job, right? I mean, we see the. Uh, I want to say, was it during the uh, FA Cup? I want to say they had the replays on like what the VAR was watching on like the big screens in the stadium as well uh, at Wembley, and like you know, we I've seen leagues do that, but in MLS we're just, we're just stuck guessing. <laughs> we're like, oh. You know, like, are they reviewing this or are they reviewing this? Like, we don't know. And, and that's one thing where I just I just don't understand how MLS continues to fail at this while other leagues who have, you know, who haven't had as much time with VAR are ex- almost excelling, quote unquote. I'm not, you know, Armin, I may disagree with you. I'm not sure MLS is failing at VAR, and and certainly being one of the pioneers of it, they're going to end up catching most of the slings and arrows um, and criticism. You know, for example, I think Champions League has a huge VAR problem because it appears VAR is calling, you know, penalty kicks out of the blue that nobody on the field thinks is a violation. The handball um, uh, in the uh, game midweek against with Tottenham and Man City, the handball call uh, between PSG and Manchester United, those were calls that nobody on the field complained about until somebody from VAR watched it in super slow motion and said, oh, hold on a second, you missed something. So I'm not sure that system, the way that is instituted, is any better per se. Um, I think Major League Soccer has gotten and improved their VAR uh, implementation a lot since last year. But that's the one thing that I get really frustrated about is these incidences that are very clear and obvious that we all see as fans, yet we don't quite understand where that breaking point is of what is considered a clear and obvious error on the referee's part that suddenly flips the switch to progress into the next level of R. Yeah, as always, communication would help. 
You know, they they need to have a way to communicate to broadcasts, to radio, to you know, uh, maybe even staff or something. You know, the, we looked at that. No, you know, we're no decision. You know, some something, some sort of level of communication, to, so that we don't sit there wondering. Like I, at the time, I was like, did they even look at this? Are they looking at it? I have no idea. You know, <laughs> so. And uh, and then uh, to kind of as we uh, wrap things up, North Texas Soccer Club will be playing after or before. That's after. The, it after. is the after. it is it is after. It, it and, might be late though if it rains. Yes. Well, uh, you never know. We may have another uh, <laughs> midnight start. Yeah. <laughs> Super late start. At least it's not snowing like it's supposed to in multiple places around Major League Soccer this weekend. Um, it will be exciting to get an opportunity to watch those guys. Um, the 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 Peppy train is uh, chugging along at very high speed. Uh, John Arnold wrote an article about him this week uh, for us over at the Dallas Morning News, uh, and to, you know, just wondering if. That that kid's going to continue to put in goals uh, and just raise his value and then suddenly getting all the fan noise of when exactly are we going to see this guy come play for the yeah. senior team? You just know that's coming, right? Well, Lucci says he's playing for North Texas um, Saturday night and then we'll join the 17s for the rest of the GA Cup afterwards. We'll be there if you want to catch some hot, peppy hype train. We do love the Peppy hype train. Okay, Portland, the Timbers, and then their always impressive group of uh, people that live here in Dallas that support them. Because uh, you all know there's a lot of people that used to live in Portland that all now live in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Uh, we'll fill up their area of the fa- uh, their section of the stadium. The game kicks off at 7 o'clock. Um, and then uh, the other thing, it's my favorite time of year. It's Christmas and spring, the 40th edition of the Dallas Cup. Uh, is upon us and will kick off on Sunday. By the way, I'm in a hurry to get this podcast recording over because my two uh, English referee homestays arrive here in the next couple of hours. I'm excited to meet them and completely ass-whip them for 10 days. Uh, Anything in particular or a team or player, uh, Buzz and Armin, and I'll, I'll start with you, Buzz, that you're particularly interested or excited to see over the course of the tournament? Well, from I obviously focus on the FC Dallas, you know, U19s and U17s, but I will say that the Sunday night um, kickoff marquee game at the Cotton Bowl, Tigres, the defending champions versus Liverpool, that should be a really good game. That crowd should be really good because you're going to get a lot of Dallas walk-up kind of crowd to see Tigres play. Um, and, and Liverpool. <laughs> and, and Liverpool. Well, the walk-up East Dallas crowd will be Tigres crowd, but Liverpool will draw well and so will Tigres. So in between the walk-ins and the and uh, of the all the players, and then the game before that, which has got Monterey in it, uh, you're likely to have a really nice crowd down at the Cotton Bowl. That could be a heck of a fun evening for those two games. And then um, the other thing is just the general idea that uh, the supergroup of the 19s and the 14 supers, uh, both those any kind of games of those two groups are outstanding because they they're pulling out the very best top end super high talented teams and grouping them together. So even the group games between those super group 19s and the super 14s, those games are better quality than almost anything you can see in the United States. Spectacularly good soccer. And I recommend trying to catch them if you can. I'm always interested to see how the other MLS academies play. So, I mean, the super group, you have NYCFC, uh, TFC, uh, uh, Salt Lake and Dallas, obviously, um, I mean, last last year when I went to uh, watch some games here, last year or two years ago, uh, I saw Salt Lake play, and they were fun to watch as an academy team as well. I'm interested to see NYCFC, you know, as, you know, a team that, you know, has been building their academy over those last four years. Like, how do they stand, How do they stack up, you know, with the rest of the pack? How do they look, you know, compared to especially Dallas Academy? I always like making Dallas Academy that high litmus test and then comparing and see where everyone else lies. I mean, that, that's always interesting. Uh, to me, but as Buzz says, the Cotton Ball games are always great, always fun, always good atmosphere. Let me throw one more name at you: Jake Ryan, Bobby Ryan's son, is in the uh, is on the U twelve oh FC oh Dallas. Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> FC Dallas. Oh no! <laughs> FC Dallas twelve South. They're, they have two uh, twelve DA teams. He's on the twelve South team. He wears number nineteen. Hashtag JR nineteen. Uh, Jake, so uh, try and catch him if you're into the Bobby Ryan nostalgia. Great kid, you know. You can't miss see him. If he's good. You can't miss him. He looks just yeah, like Bobby. Looks, looks exactly like him. I it's mean, awesome. I, I'm looking forward to seeing him play. I haven't seen him play yet. I want to see him play. So shocking I'm blonde hair. Him. 
Oh, that's crazy. Uh, that makes me feel super old. I was already feeling old when I hear Armin talk about the Cotton Bowl, and I realize yeah. Armin, uh, like, <laughs> when you and I were going to the original Dallas Burn games in the Cotton Bowl, Armin was, you know, still in diapers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When, what was your first – when when and where, Armin, was your first Dallas uh, soccer game? Ooh, we're going way back, huh? Yeah, um, way back. So I would say my first one, uh, Dallas-wise, would have to be the year the stadium, the Toyota Stadium opened up. Uh, you know, because <laughs> I, I – yeah, I can't believe that, huh? You didn't even go to any of the burn games of the Cotton Bowl. I was, I mean, no. Listen, listen, listen. I was like eight. My dad <laughs> – Still to this day, hates MLS. So uh, I was like, yo, brand new stadium. Let's go watch some soccer. And he was down. So I finally convinced him to go. And we went and watched that. Um, I, look, I grew up in a household that hates MLS. But what, what, what can I do? Like, I was banned from watching it. Your well, parents... you have to remember, Peter, that half the team now was born after the league started. I know. The league started in 96. Paxton's in 99. Cervantes in 99. The other kids are OOs and O1s. I mean, you know, these guys, we've been covering the team longer than they've been alive. And they're full pros. It's ridiculous. Goodness gracious. All right. Well, that's a fantastic note to end our uh, fun-filled edition. <laughs> Goodness, that's the craziest thing. Armin, uh, please remind everybody where they can read and hear your fine work. Uh, uh, so if you just follow me on Twitter at Armand Kafai. Uh, I plug all my stuff on there, so it's much easier than if I list everything out. I'm tr- I'm trying to keep it short and sweet for you, Peter. Yeah, well, good thing you've got a name that's easy to spell. Awesome. All right, uh, Buzz, don't for- hey. By the way, Buzz uh, on Buzz's Twitter account, Third Degree Net. Make sure you go check out and buy one of Buzz's awesome, burgeon- growing collection of T-shirts. Your L Train Peppy T-shirt is awesome. By the Thanks. way, yeah. Uh, that is fantastic, and yeah. um, and you guys, you're you and John and Dan are doing a ton of Dallas Cup coverage and GA Cup coverage over the next ten days, right? Yeah, we're trying to uh, get the 19s and the 17s covered pretty much wall to wall if we can, and then we're going to cherry pick some of the other teams, uh, you know, mostly academy teams because our our bid is always path to the pros is what we're interested in. So we're going to try and cherry pick uh, some teams out everywhere else, and we'll have lots of. Uh, photographs from the Dallas Cup too. I have three or four different photographers that are going to shoot some various stuff. So we'll have plenty of Dallas Cup and Academy coverage. All right. Excellent. Well, Armin, thanks for uh, showing up. I can't tell you how proud Buzz and I are that we gave you your start over at Third Degree and now you're a full-fledged soccer media something like that. Highbrow like guy. That. <laughs> Student. Yeah, kiddo. Something like that. <laughs> yeah, excellent. All right. All right, well, thanks, everybody. Thank you, Buzz. Thank you, Armin. Thank you guys for listening, and we will talk to you next week on Third Degree, the podcast. <laughs>